Thank you again, brothers and sisters, um, for having our family, and um, what a privilege it is to bring God's Word. Um, one last time, I'm in the assembly, and um, as you all know, we're, as the family, we'll be back um, here, Lord willing, um, in, in January, at least as main, in Hobart, and I think I will pursue um, a job in engineering unless the assembly wants to give me something, or a presbytery down in the south. Um, I'm only half joking. Um, but as we know, there's a lot of work to do here in Tassie, and of course, around the world. And um, we, we um, share um, the same burden as the Church of Tasmania to reach out to the lost. Um, not only here, but of course, beyond our shores. Let me read from um, Ephesians chapter 3, um, that wonderful prayer of Paul from verse 14 to 21, and then I'll pray, and then I'll begin. <clears throat> For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Yes, Father, may this happen, Lord, even in our lifetime, that we will pursue um, this fullness, Father, a standard that Christ has set and has laid before us, and by His grace, Your power, Your Spirit, Lord, we are to pursue. We humbly ask that You will strengthen Your church here, um, even as we listen to Your Word this morning, we will know of your power and love towards your people. And the same power and love, Lord, may it spread to all the people groups in the world as your people proclaims the beautiful gospel of our Lord Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> About 200 years ago, Thomas Jefferson, one of the founding fathers of what is now called the United States of America, Jefferson predicted that Christianity will soon be replaced by a more enlightened form of religion, a religion that rejected Jesus, his divinity, and a Christianity, sorry, a religion that disregards miracles. Jefferson then made his point clear by taking a razor blade, and he had six copies of the New Testament, two in Greek, two in Latin, and one each in French and one in English. He picked those up, 
And with his razor blade, started slashing or cutting off the pages where he doesn't think fit in the historical Jesus that he believed in. We have this Bible available. Don't know if it's in Kurong, I doubt. But it's called the Jefferson Bible, a Bible without any sign of the miraculous or supernatural. We are here today in Ephesians 3, the second prayer of Paul. And here we see the reason why Jefferson and others after him were wrong. God has always intended to bring his church to full maturity. As he strengthens his church, he gathers more of his people from every part of the world. And because it is God's work by his spirit, it's unstoppable. Christianity will continue to grow and in fact is growing all around the world. God's purpose is for the individual and for the church to get to that measure of stature of the fullness of Christ. That's a mouthful, but that's what we will look at as we go through the text. And so this is what Paul prays for, the fullness of God in the church. There are three parts. Um, this prayer is about God's power and love requested. Second, it's about God's power and love experienced. And third, this is God's power and love fulfilled. And this is our prayer for the church in Tasmania. Um, let's look at the first heading, um, God's power and love <clears throat> requested. Verse 14, for this reason, I kneel before the Father from whom his whole family in heaven and on earth is named. For this reason, um, actually connects to chapter 2, at the to end of chapter 2. For some reason, Paul got lost um, in his thoughts and digressed to his own ministry as he was thinking of what God's plan was for the church. If you recall, chapter 2 is that great, great um, exposition on what the gospel of God is, but it's also what it has achieved. It achieved reconciliation between Jews and Gentile. The wall has been broken down, and God is now present to both groups, the Jews and the Gentiles. In other words, the Jews and the world. God is near. God is near to both these groups. But Paul um, segued to his own ministry and how God is also using him. And, and so be encouraged, pastor, when you ramble on sometimes in your sermon because some, something amazing hits you um, about, about God. So that's the connection. That's the reason Paul is praying. Peace now exists between the Jews and the world. And we can read what will happen. Chapter 2, verse 22 says, In him, you, the Ephesian church, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God's, God lives by his Spirit. That's where he's going, the building up together of the church, composed of all the people groups in the world. God has opened the door for everyone to come in. 
we can pray to God, we can pursue God with um, some sort of arrogance or like a business transaction. Look, Lord, I'm doing this for you, so do something for me. You can see the stance of Paul before God. He's kneeling before the Father in humility, in total submission, submitting to his own, to God's sovereignty. That thought of sovereignty also um, is present when he uses the term family in heaven and on earth. The word family is simply clans or tribes, but because he uses the word in heaven and on earth, it actually refers to the spiritual realms where groups of um, spirits exist, the principalities that we call powers, authorities, and dominions, word rule, world rulers. The point is these spiritual forces, even them, they are under God's sovereignty. And Paul prays to this God who controls everything but cares specially for his people. And so that's how he starts his prayer in humility and in the knowledge that God is sovereign over this world. The contents of his prayer is this. Verse 16, I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power, together with all the saints, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of the fullness of God. You can see the three parts, can't you? The text makes it clear when it says, I pray that, that's in verse 16, I pray that um, in verse 17, and that in, in, in verse 19. So that's the, what we call the hina clause um, in the Greek. The, the, what, what, what is the prayer all about? First prayer, and that's the first point, he asked God to give strength to his people by the power of the Spirit. We already know the powerful working spirit. We, we learned about this yesterday. The spirit who opens our eyes to believe and, and, and to show that belief in the way we live our lives. But now here, the same spirit builds up the muscles of our inner being. And we have to think about this as well, not just as individuals, our own inner being, but he's talking to the church, that none of us will be left weak and unattended to, uncared for, unloved, that as a church, we strengthen ourselves by caring for one another and loving each other and serving one another. In the Bible, of course, there are individual um, anointing um, where superhuman strength was displayed we, we hear of David, of Jonathan, Ezra. At certain points in their lives, God gave them a special strength to face challenges that come their way. We might remember Martin Luther as well, saying before his accusers, I cannot and I will not recant anything, for to go against conscience is neither right nor safe. 
my conscience is captive to the word of God. Luther made a stand. What we probably don't remember is Martin Luther writing about that particular event. He said before, during, and after the trial, he would go from sure and unsure. He kept thinking, I could be wrong about this. What dangers have I put myself and others in? But he showed strength in his inner being, which he understood only God can do. So yes, God will strengthen us, not just in moments of crisis, but God actually is doing that work as we allow Jesus to work in all aspects of our lives. Because that's what it says here, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Dwelling, living, you know, pictures of um, living in a house. Um, I'm sure you've, you've done, or some of you have done, renovations in your own house, houses. Perhaps you've done the kitchen, or the backyard, or the bathroom. But there's still <clears throat> other rooms that need repainting or need upgrading. There's a similar idea happening here. Speaking to Christians, Paul is saying we need to surrender every room to Christ. Not for renovation, but for renewal. That's even better than renovation. There are places, perhaps in us, that are still unsurrendered, or we're, we're ashamed to show Jesus, or we don't want him to even open that door. And so the work of renewal might be slow, and we know this is, um, could be sins that are still lurking, unattended to, laid dormant, waiting for the right temperature to put it to a boil, and then it will explode. Paul is praying, as we ask of God, as His Spirit works in us, as we let Christ dwell and take up every room, that renewal is happening and strength, your, your inner muscles are being strengthened. And apply that to the church as we care for one another, as we let the love of Christ be displayed in our churches. A church as a whole is being strengthened. But we have to know that Christ loves us, that he cares for us. And it may be hard to surrender some areas of our lives. And yet, as we sang earlier, Jesus is strong and kind. Jesus is strong and kind. He's not in the business of snuffing out that little flame of faith you have left. He won't let you fall, but allow him to work in you. The power of God is displayed is expressed also with love. It might hurt, but you know it's for the good. That's the first prayer, power and love requested. Our second heading, God's power and love experienced. And um, looking at that second prayer, um, second half, sorry, first, second half of verse 17. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power 
together with all the saints, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge. The key word here is grasp. It can mean take hold of or embrace fully, or as we understand in English, comprehend, to understand, to experience it. Again, not just as individuals, but as a whole church. But look at what he also says there. Not just you, as, you know, us as a church here, but together with all the saints. So all the Christians everywhere in the world, the, the, the universal church, that we experience that kind of unity. Um, something we can long for as we continue to pursue Christ even in our own local settings. Remember, God is near to both the Jews and the Gentile. The church is now open for all peoples. And God's power and love may be experienced by the church in the world. I kept saying power and love, power and love. Um, and that's deliberate because in, in, in the original, the, the four dimensions doesn't have an object in, in, in that um, height, depth, width, and length. It doesn't have an object. It actually just reads, may you grasp how wide and long and high and deep and to know the love of Christ. And so Augustine posited that this is the four um, parts of the cross, so, and, and so many other interpretations have, have happened over the years. But if we just go back to the first prayer of Paul, we already read um, in chapter 1 that Christ has this incomparably great power. He's got this immeasurable, immeasurable greatness of his power. And I think the parallelism, parallelism is here. So it's the power of God that's immeasurable, very high, very deep, very long, very wide. And the love of Christ must be known as well. Either way, we, can, we can't go wrong. Um, Calvin says it's the love of Christ, and if we want to keep without Calvin, that's fine. But um, the idea remains the same. God must work so powerfully in our lives that we experience the love of Christ in our hearts. It's mind-boggling. It surpasses knowledge. That means it's beyond just um, knowing. We can never get to depth of it. We, we know we can put a number on how deep the Pacific Ocean is, or sorry, how wide that is, and we can put a number on the width. We can't put a number on God's love. The length of the Nile River is known, but not the length of God's love. We can climb Mount Everest, but we'll never come close to understanding the height of God's love. We can go deep down to the Mariana Trench. We'll still fail to know the depth of God's love. But we know He does love us because the Bible tells us this. In all and everywhere we go, God's love surrounds us. When we fall, we will always be caught up in the everlasting arms of the God who loves us. 
and that should be enough. We can experience it in greater and greater measure as we continue to believe and express faith in the Lord Jesus. That's God's power and love experienced. The last heading is God's power and love fulfilled. Look at verse 19. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Here Paul summarizes um, his two requests, the two things that he wants us to experience, God's power and love. And now he's saying, so that we can measure up to the fullness of God. Measure is, is a mathematical degree. And of course, fullness is size. Um, and there are degrees of, of experiencing that even now. The filling, the word filling and fullness has Old Testament connections, um, doesn't it? If we look back at two historical events in the life of God's people, um, when I preached my last sermon in Mount Stewart, we, we landed in, in Exodus 40, where we remember God comes down into that um, tabernacle, the place where God said, I will dwell with my people, and His glory filled up every space in that tabernacle. The same thing happened um, in Solomon's temple in 2 Chronicles 7. And it will happen again when God finally dwells with his people in the new heavens and the new earth. And as we grow in the Christian life, we're getting to a degree of, of that presence of God in our lives. So there might be times when we feel down or weary, unmotivated, or just plain dry. And then we might ask, what if this is as good as it gets. I used to run in high school the 100-meter dash. I was fast in my school, fast enough for my school that I got sent to um, the next division level. But once we got to that next level, I was running as fast as I could, and there was this little boy right in front of me. I was, I think, number five when we, we, we ran a, a heat. And I could feel that I've given up all my power and energy for this race, but I just couldn't catch this boy with short legs, and he was just running a little bit faster than me, and, and so fell by the wayside and, and lost. And, and soon I gave up that sport as well, knowing there's nothing there for me. But the Christian life is so different. There's always more to God to pursue, to know, to have a deeper understanding. And even in our perfect state, we will always be creatures. He will always be God, which means there will be more to discover of Him. He will be a continue, continual source of endless joy. We will never be um, full in the sense of our creature Sorry, we will never be like God because we will always be creatures. We will be, but we will be filled to the measure of all the fullness 
of God. I said measure is degree and fullness is size. So it means our capacity will be full, just like in the Old Testament setting, every square inch um, God fills with his glory. As a wise man said, to the optimist, the glass is half full. To the pessimist, the glass is half empty. To the engineer, the glass is twice as big as it needs to be. God will fill us up to our capacity, our creaturely limits. And that's not a negative. In fact, it's good because there'll be nothing for us but endless um, joy and admiration when Jesus returns. So this is what we pray for. This is the goal. This is the work that pastors do. We, we know this because when we get to chapter 4, Paul says, pastors equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. So our Christ-likeness will be made complete. Yes, it will be all fulfilled in the last day, but we come to a continuing growth in faith as we go towards that goal. So this prayer ends the so-called theological section of Ephesians 1 to 3. We need God's power so we can live up to the ethical, dem ethical demands, the moral demands. In the application section, 4 to 6, of course, we don't use that as a rigid rule that it's all theology in the first three chapters and it's all application in the next. It's all God's work. God is doing the filling. God gives the growth so we can be full. And he uses means, doesn't he? And, and the next um, chapters also says that um, in Ephesians. It says, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Um, Luther used this text powerfully in, in his bouts with depression, that he prays, but he also sings, and he looks at God's promises. And that's a blessing that we now have, because the Spirit is with us. We will have the fullness of God. And in this life, some degree, a growing degree, and full when Jesus returns. This is our prayer for the church in Tasmania. And this we want to share to all the peoples of the world. In fact, if this is our goal for our churches, wouldn't it be a good motivation to reach out um, to the lost in Tasmania and beyond. We all want peoples everywhere to experience the same power and love that we ourselves have experienced, and we have this awesome task before us. As I said at the beginning, Thomas Jefferson was proved wrong. He was confident in his prediction, even produced his own Bible, but the Christian church is still growing worldwide, and in fact, it's, it's coming at a high rate. 
it's estimated that 100 million converts come to Christianity every year. That's according to the World Christian Encyclopedia. It's interesting that G Jefferson's prediction came after the first Great Awakening and just before the second. These revivals that swept Britain and the American colonies like wildfire in, in, in the 19th century. Ironically, the 19th century is also considered the great um, century of missions. The father of modern missions, William Carey, um, led that great century. Um, remember his sermon titled, Expect Great Things from God? Attempt Great Things for God. And it is said, during that period, start of the uh, 20, sorry, 19th century, 1800s to 1900s. During that period, more new Christians emerged from a wider number of new people groups than any at any previous time in history. What made that happen is many Christians moved to vast and remote areas, to different parts of the world, and communicated the gospel to many, to so many cultural boundaries. The Scottish church at the beginning of the 19th century was slow to join the growing missionary movement. Up until 1824, that's almost 200 years ago, the official position of the Scottish church was that foreign missions were highly inexpedient. Look, we can't stop it. We can't. Um, we had no choice. Though the Scottish church is still our mother as a Presbyterian church. But in 1823, we know they did send someone to Australia. And as we know, the first Presbyterian church service in Australia by an ordained minister happened in Hobart. We're celebrating a bit of that um, tomorrow and, of course, uh, early in January. But how much of it was for outreach or how much of it was to maintain the Scottish heritage. And I think we can read the history books on that. But our concern is our generation, because our generation must decide how we will pursue God's work in Tasmania and beyond. As a Presbyterian church in the 21st century, we need to ask God to show us how to do that. And perhaps you already have those dreams and find it so hard to implement any of them. From my own perspective, at least in the experience of those seven or eight Presbyterian churches I've, I've been in, I've always seen a heart for the lost in the people of God. And so we can continue to dream together and pray together and then pursue things together as God leads. We already have everything we need to do so. That's how this prayer ends, doesn't it? Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. God will be glorified 
whether we participate in his kingdom work or not. Jesus will get his glory in all generations. Let us pursue his dream with him. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, such an awesome task, Lord, who is equipped for such work like this. We praise you, Jesus, that this is your work. And so it will come to pass, Lord, that the church will measure up to the fullness of Christ-likeness. We long for that day, and we long for, indeed, a church, Lord, that follows you fully in your work, that we participate, Lord, in all the possible ways we can. 200 years ago, they pursued their own goals. 200 years ago, Lord, there were good and bad that happened. So help us, Lord, to learn and then help us to move knowing that we already have you as the power leading us. We thank you for this church in Tasmania. Please, Lord, show us the way, equip us, and help us to work with all our might to accomplish great things for you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Going to sing again?